Hey, really good friends. This episode contains content that may be alarming to some listeners. Please check the show notes for more detailed descriptions and take care of yourself. Hello, Hello and welcome to Historically Really Good Friends, a queer history podcast. I'm Rachel Craig. And I'm Jared Femblow. Welcome! And hello, happy October and Yom Kippur today. Happy those things, yay! I feel like a a holiday is different than like just a month, but... Yeah, I would agree. Is it? What do you think? I think yes, that's why I said it. But also, could you tell me what Yom Kippur is? Because I don't really know. So Yom Kippur, for all of my non-Jewish people out there, is... Gentiles, uh, if you will. I was going to say that, and I got (laughs) nervous. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) So Yom Kippur is basically just a day of, like, asking for forgiveness and, like, atoning your sins and, like restarting refreshing for a new a a new cycle of of sinning intense but i guess it's because rosh hashanah just happened right that's the new year correct and so then we start the new uh, people presumably i don't know why i said we (laughs) me (laughs) you and i people people out there presumably are that starting the new year instead of a resolution which i believe we talked about last week Time is a blur. It could have it been. Really it could have been nine months ago. It could have been yesterday. Right. Well, regardless, it's similar to a, a New Year's tradition. It sounds like maybe we're cleaning I mean, the slate. Cleaning the cleaning slate. Cleaning the slate. Yeah, I, I'm the worst Jew that exists. I mm-hmm. had to Google this stuff before I came on here, <laughs> so I knew what I was talking about. Okay. And even now, I don't know if I know what I'm talking about. However, it is too. It's not. It, it, there are two different holidays. I don't know if right. they follow, you know, one another always consecutively. I don't know. I'm, I'm like more excited for October, I would say. Okay. Okay. That's fair. Do you have anything going on in October? Was September just like really bad? Like what's, what's up? <laughs> no, I just, I love, it's Halloween. October 1st to mm-hmm. 31st, actually like October 1st to November or something, you know, mid-November is is Halloween to me, right? Sure, sure. That's fair. I think, yeah, October and early November just have really good energy. Mm-hmm. Everybody comes out with, like everybody who makes music, it seems, or the bands that I listen to come out with like their sad girl winter mm-hmm. albums, you know, mm-hmm. their sweaters. Mm-hmm. I just do, I think it. It, maybe it's basic, but yeah, October's a good October's yeah. a good month. Have I ever told you about the mummy in in my basement? No, I don't think so. Was it a real mummy? Like, no. Well, okay, the questions are a plenty. I moved into the current building that I live in. It's apartments, and there's a shared laundry room in the basement. And in okay. the basement, there are like multiple closets, but the closets have like mesh great doors so you can see into them, but they're locked. And when I first moved into this building, I went downstairs to do laundry and I turned around and in the closet that's like directly behind where the washers and dryers are, I thought a person was in there staring at me. And so I got freaked out. And when I 
when I got the courage to officially look in there, it mm-hmm. was a mummy. Like it was mm-hmm. a full body wrapped in like gauze or whatever standing there. And it looked like it was a monster. Like it looked like a monster and it looked real. And then I got nervous, too nervous to go down there. So I would make a neighbor of mine go down into the basement with me. <sighs> yeah, and I don't then blame you. A few months later, I went down one day, gone just was not there and then around the same time i went down there and there someone had to put a bar like a metal bar on the outside of the door leaning against it like it was trying to hold something in so my thought is that there was a mummy in there every time we would go down it would like toy story itself and pretend to not be real then whoever knew it was down there was trying to keep it in there while it was trying to escape and then it escaped into los angeles that's a nightmare. I mean, not the wildest thing Los Angeles has probably ever seen. No, not it's even just like close. performance art to the yeah. people of Los Angeles. <laughs> mm-hmm. But that's so concerning. And I've seen your building before. I don't even know where a basement could be. So first nightmare scenario, like obviously it's the, it's basement. In the basement. The basement the is basement. terrifying. It has a lock but on like, it. But like, yeah, that's so scary. I have the I have chills. Mm-hmm. Plus the fact that just like, okay, I guess my question is. Mm-hmm. Are those weird half open see-through doors, are they, I know some people have like storage in the basement. Are they offered to residents as like Mm-mm. a storage space or no? Mm-mm. I don't know what it is. It's filled with trash bags and that mummy. And in one of the trash bags, there was like a werewolf hand coming out of it. Because one so it's day, just like full costumes. Yeah, it's like, or a, like a, Halloween it's a Halloween decoration. Yeah, but I don't know whose because they don't decorate the building. I'm like, whose? Whose decorations are these? That's so frightening. I, I, yeah, I feel like you have to make the situation in some way like humorous. Like, right? That's oh, I didn't want to go down there. There could be so many. I don't want to go in a basement to begin with. I still do the like turn the lights off with one hand and And your other hand is like halfway up the stairs and you're running. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Sure. So like, I wouldn't even go without there being potentially a mummified person that's come to life and the way they've changed it by this point but when i first moved in the way that it happened was so you need a key you need to use your key that unlocks the building to unlock the door to get in the basement so you use your key open that door and then there was a little light switch that was a timer so you would have to turn it and it would start ticking down and so it was like yeah so it was like you had to get down there because then like down the stairs it's just like lit up but then the the light in the actual room with the washers and dryers doesn't light up you have to use a separate timer switch for that yeah it's a terrifying basement that's so scary i don't know if i ever told you that that lighting situation reminded me of the storage unit at my workplace have i ever told you about this place Mm -hmm. okay also a nightmare worthy situation so i guess ringing in october but so we don't have enough storage in our building, like for all of our different programming things. So they were like, oh, well, we have a storage space available for you. And they gave us the address of it. So it's like, we have to walk through like city. Yeah, they we have to walk through city streets, like Newark, New Jersey, we're pushing carts of storage items, but whatever, all good. And we get to this address and it is our parking garage. So we're like, where is there a storage unit? Have I told the story? No. Yeah. I haven't? No, we have a similar thing at work where it's in the parking garage. So it's in the parking garage. And so we're like, okay, this is weird, but I don't know, whatever. So we get in, 
we open the door and it's just me and my supervisor. So we mm-hmm. open the door, we unlock it and we flip the light switch and like no lights go on. And we're like, nope. okay, nope. really weird. Nope, nope, so nope. you have to close the door behind you nope. and go in multiple different vestibules to first turn on a light. Now I'm telling you why? the storage unit is humongous. Yeah, why would that humongous. be the case? I'm going to guess it's 12,000 square feet. Oh, Jesus. It's huge. It's the size of a house. So that's the first creepy thing that happens. Nothing works, but finally we get some light switches on. Everything's flickering. There are random, like, armchairs just Mm -hmm. around. Some of the floors carpeted in red. Some of the floors carpeted in green. Carpeted floor in a storage unit? There are, but it's not a storage unit. It looks like an office space that never had any windows. There was a fax machine on the ground. There was a knife on the (gasps) ground, a big knife. What? A big knife. I swear to you, I think someone's living in there. Ew. Oh, no. Mm -mm. And- or has been for years. So there's like office spaces, but it's so eerie because there's no windows. It's inside like this weird corner of a parking garage. It is horrifying. We, like we refuse to go there by ourselves. When we go, we're, mm-hmm. we walk in and we're like, hello, we're here. Mm-hmm. It's so, so scary. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can't even explain it. I'll have to send you pictures after this because no, it is. please don't. No, it's so scary. And I need to, I need to also scare you. I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm already scared from what you just said. I I, stay out of basements and parking garages, kids. Just a general (laughs) rule in life: no basements, Mm -hmm. no parking garages. If you need to park in a parking garage, don't. Don't sell your car. Right. Right. Uber. (laughs) I don't know what to tell you. No, it's not worth it. Oh my god. Well, I hope you never have to go into that parking garage office shelter home space again thank you i have to do it every day but i really do appreciate that Mm -mm. sentiment sure but yeah thank you i hope the the mummy is either trapped in that room or um, is enjoying okay well um i hope he's enjoying or they're enjoying their time out in the city (laughs) i've decided it's a man (laughs) yeah i hope i hope he's enjoying just like the sights yeah, you he's know. got a lot of touring around to do. It's hard to get around Los mm-hmm. Angeles, so you've got some time before right. he returns. Returns home. Oh, <laughs> now I kind of miss him. <laughs> See, there you go. Okay, this is okay. Okay, well, you know what? I miss my mommy. Never go into that parking garage again. Happy October. Happy October. That feels like a good summation of it what we just talked about. TLDR. Fifteen minutes in, mm-hmm. you'll get the TLDR. <laughs> Yeah, you get it. You get it after. You have to listen to the whole thing. And then you get the TLDR. Right. Just in case you weren't listening. Forwarding yeah, yeah. Oh, until right. you stumble upon it. <laughs> Good luck. Well, this week's story is about Angelina Weld Grimke. Are you ready? Ever heard of her? I have. Have you ever heard of her? I don't know who she is. I've never heard of her. And I think this is the first time that I'm actually like kind of fully unaware of of who you're talking about. Okay. Well, very exciting. I did not know anything about her before beginning this research to the point where her name, Weld, W E L D, Mm -hmm. I just kept assuming for some reason that it was German and so it was Angelina Veld. (laughs) So so I I did my whole research and then was like, oh yeah, that's not it at all. Nationality is she? American. (laughs) Okay. That's how much we were both sort of in the dark about this. So I hope to enlighten you now. A mysterious woman. I'm very mysterious. So the sources that I use to uncover this mystery Mm -hmm. include... 
roundabout theaters about the playwright page dedicated to Angelina Weld Grimke and her play Rachel. <laughs> mm, so that's why you picked it. <laughs> I'm not saying that. A Black Past article titled Angelina Weld Grimke, contributed by Claudia Sutherland. The Legacy Project, as always, thank you. Mm-hmm. The Angelina Weld Grimke Wikipedia page, also, thank you. <laughs> the <laughs> Queers in History blog page dedicated to Angelina Weld Grimke, African American poet, writer, and teacher, and then Harvard Square Library. Okay. All right. So lots of little tidbits of information right up front. Mm-hmm. Angelina Weld Grimke was born on February 27th, 1880 in Boston, Massachusetts. She was named for her great aunt Angelina Emily Weld Grimke, a white abolitionist and women's rights advocate. So civil rights activism was in her spirit from the moment she was given that name. Mm -hmm. Angelina's mother, Sarah, was white and her father, Archibald, was black. Mm -hmm. Archibald was the son of a white slave owner and was born into slavery because his mother was enslaved by his father. Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? Mm Mm-hmm. So once emancipated, Angelina's father attended both college and law school and was actually the second black graduate from Harvard Law School and was at one point the vice president of the NAACP. Wow. Okay. So he's a smart, accomplished man. Yeah, for sure. Like really amazing. Archibald. 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 Archibald Grimke. Grimke. Okay. Okay. And so. Amazing. So angelina's grandmother and father both very involved in activism great aunt she's named for her great aunt great aunt and then her father right but so two important people in her life very involved in activism correct so despite though being an only child so she has all this like amazing activist history and upbringing but she is an only child mm-hmm. and has some atypical childhood traumas, I guess, because lots of people have childhood traumas. But her parents divorced. She was moved around a lot across the country, switching custody between parents after the divorce or separation. Her mother, while she was young, while um, Angelina was young, died by suicide. Oh, God. So despite all of that all happening like before the age of five, Angelina, yeah, very young. Very young. Angelina grew up to be very successful despite Mm -hmm. like a lot of odds against her, which is just the theme of this story. Just hardship, like right out the gate. Yeah, yeah. She is biracial. She's Mm -hmm. a woman in the late 1800s. She has a lot of different things going on in her family life, her Mm -hmm. home life, all of those things. Mm So Angelina settled in Boston after these various moves to and from the Midwest with her mother and her father and then moving back to Boston. She was still a young child. Again, she was only five when she moved back to Boston to live permanently with her father. She attended prestigious schools despite being, again, a biracial girl. Some of those notable schools, including the Cushing and Carlton Academies, which like just sound fancy, mm-hmm. don't they? Right, like, like the they Cu- would Cushing Academy. Right, they would reject both of us and then call us poor. Yeah, fully. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if they still exist or if they're still fancy at all, but it sounds like very high class, like Kennedy type, yeah, like um, legacy family right 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 i would get bullied right there oh yeah yeah yeah. yeah we okay. all would everybody okay. gets bullied and that's like fun okay oh yes love you know you know how like hazing is fun mm, for, that's... for rich white people yeah that's what it is yeah yeah you know? okay so 
Angelina attended college, also sort of amazing to me, considering this background, and that we're in the late 1800s, early 1900s. She's attending college. Yeah. And maybe I haven't learned enough from this history podcast, from all the research we've done about different time periods and like social norms. Mm -hmm. But the reason it's so shocking to me is that, again, she's a woman, she's biracial, and she's attending college in 1902. Right, right. Just like... Hard enough now, present day. Right. So granted, the school was named the Boston Normal School of Gymnastics. So like, I don't know what the accreditation was like. (laughs) Stop. Stop. She's a gymnast? (laughs) Well, she went to school to be like a PE teacher, like a a physical education teacher. Okay. I mean, listen, she's still going to school. Still give her that. Right. But the School of Gymnasts or whatever it's called. The Boston Normal School of Gymnastics, which also... So many old colleges were had normal school in the name. What the fuck does that mean? Girl, this is your story. I don't know. I don't know either, but it's just something <laughs> I've noticed. I don't know what it means. Why okay. is it called the normal school? Anyway. Okay. So like, again, it's a huge feat, but I don't know what this college was like. Okay. Today, though, that same school is known as Wellesley College, which just by name alone sounds accredited and like the epitome of Northeastern, like right. high class barrier to entry, like Lori Laughlin getting my mm-hmm. daughter into college. Mm-hmm. Just college. say you're a gymnast. You're on the, you're on the gymnasts team. Right. You're a in. rower right, and you right, get right. Photoshopped and all that stuff. Oh, I would love, <laughs> love yeah, to just love have to Lori Laughlin as my mom to Photoshop me. <laughs> just just for that. I just want her Photoshop skills. <laughs> That's it. That's it. So after this prestigious Lori Laughlin education at the gymnast school, she no, moves to Washington. She what? Lori, she had a real, she had a real education. Don't. No, she did. Don't she slander did. her with Lori no, Laughlin. She did. She did. I'm saying she didn't pull a Lori Laughlin, but she's at a school that Lori Laughlin would pull a Lori Laughlin to get into. Eventually, you know? right? Okay. right. Sorry, you know sorry, I mean? sorry. Go on. <laughs> So after her prestigious period mm-hmm. education, mm-hmm. she moves to Washington, D.C. with her father, where she was a P.E. teacher and then an English teacher. So she's oh, using okay. her degree. Mm-hmm. She's putting it to work. Throughout her adult life, Angelina was very, very close to her father. Again, he was kind of the only figure in her life since the time she was five. She never married or had children of her own. And again, she was an only child. So she didn't even have siblings. In 1928, her father needed near constant care for a terminal illness, so Angelina left her teaching job. When he passed away in 1930, Angelina is said to have become a complete recluse. She lived Mm. in solitude in New York until her own death in 1958 when she was 78 years old. Okay. And I'm not ending the story there, but I figured we'll get that stuff out of the way. Just some context, some background. Basic life timeline. Right. So... We're rewinding a little bit. In the time she was a teacher, until she stopped making any known art, again around 1930 when her father passed away, Mm -hmm. Angelina began writing poetry and stage plays. Most famously, she wrote Rachel. She wrote me. She created Mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. A drama performed by an all-black cast to a white audience in 1916. Rachel openly, Rachel the play, Mm -hmm. (laughs) openly talked about and protested lynching and racial violence. Rachel the person, this person would also do that. Right. Okay. (laughs) But Just for the record. For the record. I want it known. Mm -hmm. Rachel the play openly talked about those things. Mm -hmm. Grimke wrote the play as a response to the birth of a nation film. 
which was to be used by the NAACP because mm-hmm. if you are not familiar with that movie, it is horribly racist mm-hmm. and is one of like the first movies, is it not? Like, wasn't it one of the first films to be made? And it was, I, I know though, it was like shown in the White House, which mm-hmm. is a big deal mm-hmm. for to have the president watching and like acclaiming this right. movie that's really racist. So Rachel, the play was actually sort of a response by the NAACP to the release of this film. Which is really surprising that she has not access, but she has the ability to pull together an all black cast and perform it let alone yeah. to an entirely white audience because segregation and all the all those things but the fact that she's able to create this art and present it and like put it out into the world feels like a really big feat for the time certainly especially about the content that it was because i think you know it probably wasn't uncommon for white audiences to be viewing black performers Mm -hmm. because just like as entertainment and still being like Mm -hmm. i don't have to give you rights um you don't deserve rights but you can like you can come in the back door and perform and then leave the back door and we can still do this exchange that way right but that's usually like an act you know right 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 and so it was really impressive that she got sort of stage time in front of people about such racially transparent and like upfront things. Right. And then most continuing off of that same theme, most, if not all of Angelina's short stories, poems and plays throughout her writing career talked explicitly about racial violence from her perspective as a biracial woman and stories and eyewitness accounts from her family and community. So, like so many people of the olden times, Angelina's unwed status may have been an indication of her attraction and affection for women. Same-sex marriage was obviously not permissible, but neither was being a lesbian openly, so not even just the marriage piece of it. It was really hard even to be in a long-term relationship with a woman. But did Angelina have any really good friends during... Her life, it seems very likely that that's the case. It's been reported that Angelina had a long-term relationship with one woman that did not end successfully, but it is clear that it was at one time a very intimate relationship from, shockingly, letters. That's how we know this. Oh my from God. letters. Uh, another, <laughs> another appearance from love letters that we have access to. I will never get tired of them. Please tell me you have more information on these friggin' letters. Of course I do. Oh, I would never God. leave you hanging. I would hope so, not. Though much of her published work is threaded with themes of racial violence, her personal letters and poetry expose more of her relationships with women mainly the grief and loss she would feel after losing women in her life. Mm. So here's a little bit of the letter that she wrote to a female, quote, friend, Mary Burl, when she was 16. But I want to note about this particular letter. Two articles I read in researching this said that the letter's recipient was her friend, Mary Burl, who grew up to also be a famous writer and was a known friend of Angelina's, like that's confirmed. Mm -hmm. However, another source in my research says that the letter was not going to Mary, but instead was meant for Edith Karn, a classmate of Angelina's at Carleton Academy. Okay. So the recipient of the letter is a little bit unclear. It gets a little bit murky. However, it's a close female it's a close female it's a close female friend and there's a lot of like exploration into this by historians Mm -hmm. because mary was black and edith was white and there's a lot of 
implications that historians are looking to delve into about mm-hmm. like could they have explored this relationship mm-hmm. if like depending on the race of the person she's writing it to and is mm-hmm. it plausible that it's to this person is it plausible that it's to this person mm-hmm. mary again we know a lot more about mary because she also was a famous writer so it's just like a lot of conflicting information mm-hmm. regardless though the letter still exists <laughs> we can still read the letter okay good and so because this is about angelina we're gonna read it we don't need to know about the person that it was going to okay so the letter says quote i know you are too young now to become my wife but i hope darling that in a few years you will come to me and be my love my wife how my brain whirls how my pulse leaps with joy and madness when i think of these two words my wife unquote yeah that is i i mean i don't why did we spend so much time talking about who it possibly could have gone to that either way that's not something you write to just a friend <laughs> like, yeah. like whoever was They're going like, to was we should clearly... explore the recipient more and it's like but i mean what? sure yeah sure 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 but at the same time like i feel like there's no denying that that was anything less than a romantic letter totally and so there is speculation about this letter because for a lot of people it clearly confirms those things whereas Mm -hmm. some of the many other letters we've read in the past many of them belonging to lesbian love affairs Mm -hmm. have been dismissed or like torn apart by historians and to claim they are aren't whereas this seems to be i don't know that anyone in what i read was debating they were at least saying you know, Angelina in so many words that maybe she didn't have was a lesbian or Mm -hmm. was bisexual. And that doesn't seem to be as debated. But there is speculation that this is the woman, whoever the letter was being written to, with whom Angelina had an unsuccessful Mm -hmm. relationship with. Mm -hmm. And that's potentially because her father knew she was in love and in love with a woman and expressed his disapproval over that. Mm -hmm. So it is possible that this was sort of known at the time, but shut down by her father or other people in her life. And that's why she never continued to pursue these relationships. Right. Because as a Black woman at this time, there's a lot of expectations on you. So especially to have this other part of your identity to kind of be grappling with and then have the disapproval of the one person that you really care about in your life on top of all of that like uh, yeah of course there's obvious reason for her to kind of be like oh maybe but i i can't can't explore really any more outwardly than just Right. She doesn't want to jeopardize the relationships that she does already have, which is totally valid. Plus, you know, in the letter that she's writing about making someone her wife, even if she was able to be open in a relationship, that wasn't a possibility for them. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe there could have been an opportunity to just say, I'm not going to continue to explore those pieces of of my identity Mm -hmm. because there's a lot more uncertain down that path for me than right. I know where you know right now I have my father right 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 and that you know people speculate over that being a factor in her in her relationships being somewhat fleeting and mm-hmm. then in her poetry then being a, a lot of her poetry about unrequited love or the grief over losing a, a woman in her life mm-hmm. or things like that The Dictionary of Literary Biography African American Writers Before the Harlem Renaissance states, quote, In several poems and in her diaries, Grimke expressed the frustration that her lesbianism created. 
Thwarted longing is a theme in several poems, unquote. Some of her unpublished poems are more explicitly lesbian, implying that she lived a life of suppression, both personal and creative. Mm -hmm. So most of her poems and other work that feature hints at romance between women were never published, either because Angelina did not release them to be published, or they were rejected from publishers, Mm -hmm. or they were personal letters, again, so they wouldn't have been published. It's not like they were a a written poem to be seen by a lot of people. Nonetheless, she was hugely influential for the Harlem Renaissance, even though she's not considered a writer of that time. By that time, Mm -hmm. she was already reclusive in New York, but people were still so deeply impacted by her and her writing and her legacy. She was an astonishing figure of Black lesbian success and had a substantial impact of writers and artists for decades to come. Mm -hmm. So I hope I did her story justice for both of us who've never even heard of her before, but that's Angelina. Yeah. I have never heard of her until, like I said, so it was really interesting to to learn more about who she was and, and kind of put a little bit of a, a story to her name. Uh, my biggest question for you, if you know this, is was her poetry mainly about longing and love and these more intimate aspects while her playwriting is more activism or, you know, politically charged? Yeah, so everything that I read, even examples of her poetry versus some of her short stories or her plays, Mm -hmm. that's exactly what it was. So her poems were more about longing, just as you said, whereas the pieces of activism or the awareness, the social and cultural and political awareness that she wanted to have written down artistically Mm -hmm. or creatively came out more in those short stories and the plays that she made. Specifically, Rachel is the one that she's most known for. Mm -hmm. But all of the other work that she did before and after that, it seems that it's only in her poetry that she really explores some of those themes. Which I guess makes sense, though, because poetry is something that is really personal, right? It's like really something that you're not standing in front of an audience Unless I guess you go to like a like a poetry night. Poetry you know? slam. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Snaps all around. If if you're not going to something specifically like that, which I'm not even sure that that existed at that time, nor would she have gone to it, nor would she have been welcomed. That's you know, that's something that maybe is a little bit more for yourself. I don't know what right. the I don't I don't know if it was realistic or like how many black women were being published at this time is specifically in the realm of poetry. Mm-hmm. So that might not even have been a thought to her. It may have just been like you were saying, kind of with these personal letters, like not something she was expecting to right. have seen by anybody else. Whereas with theater, it's I'm specifically putting this on a stage for people, right. especially a white audience. Like I have something to say right. and like, I want you to hear the actual like important messages that, that we need to discuss. Yeah, totally. And I was reading something like unrelated the other day, but it was talking about how the understanding of like poetry during this time and, you know, at present is that it's far more like lyrical and expressive and you're able to be more creative than other writing forms, um, which I I don't think is true, but I think that definitely is the the impression that people get about poetry. So maybe she was using that, again, more as like a personal expression or as a lyrical, like longing, romantic expression rather than Mm -hmm. something intended to be a performance. Right. And so once her father passes away, she just stops writing altogether. 
she stops writing, she stops teaching, she essentially kind of disappears, and Mm. for a long time. So she passes away, I want to make sure I get the date right. So she passes away in 1958, and Mm. her father had passed away in 1930. Yeah, so 28 years, almost 30 years. 28 years. She doesn't publish anything. There's no writings that have been found during that time. She mm-hmm. quit teaching mm-hmm. and just lives alone in New York during that time. So all of the work that she had done was before 1930. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I would be interested if like anyone was able to find any evidence that like she maybe lived at that time with any of her yeah. really good friends. Yeah, totally. But nothing came up as of now that that was the case. Okay, so we're putting an official call out there. This is our first official Historically Really Good Friends call for information. If anybody (laughs) has maybe more knowledge about Angelina's love life or just like about her Historically Really Mm -hmm. Good Friends, we would love to know. We would love to know. Maybe I'll have to do a follow-up episode about like the potential recipient, Mary Burrell, and see like what her life is about what's her deal yeah because again this was all about angelina today and i'm so glad it was yeah but i would be super interested to know if during those 28 years there was any more personal details of her life that have not yet been exposed right and if not i mean we'll just make it up we'll pretend sure yeah exactly i think she would historically historically really good friends not necessarily historically accurate fully fiction (laughs) maybe libel we'll see (laughs) well thanks for the story thank you for listening anytime thanks for tuning in to episode 32 of historically really good friends where we talked about a 20th century poetess and playwright this is your weekly reminder that acknowledging the queerness of our history makes having a mummy in your basement a little bit more fun please make sure to rate review and subscribe to our podcast wherever you're listening right now And to see photos from this week's episode, make sure to check out our Instagram at Historically Really. And also make sure to send us your personal stories at historicallyreallygoodfriends at gmail.com. We hope to see you again next week. Goodbye.